0: From Kurtco Media. Coming up on the show. It's the essence of travel. You're actually learning about the place you're going to. You're living the experience of what people did prior to tourists scurrying all over the country. And so it gives you a great sense of place and a great idea about the history, the people, the culture, and much more.
1: That is the expert on luxury travel in Mexico, Zachary Rabinor. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this. Is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the absolutely fascinating people who make them possible. Now, as a lot of you have heard me talk about on this show, I have been living in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico for the past several months. Unfortunately, my time down here is coming to an end. We're getting ready to go back to the states, but before I go, I absolutely had to do an episode dedicated to this country. This country that has has brought me so much joy, so much adventure over the past 12 months. Look, my wife and I, we, we obviously love Mexico before we decided to move down here with our youngest daughter. But this extended time here, the the time that we've had in this country has really, really opened my eyes to so many different places and and experiences and foods and traditions. And, you know, and as these things often go, the more I, I learn about Mexico, the more I realize that I'm really only scratching the surface and, you know, I have done quite a bit of exploring and I've learned so much about traveling in this country and discovered so many, I don't want to say secret spots, but but definitely lesser known destinations. However, for our special episode dedicated to Mexico, I tracked down someone who knows far more than I do. I'm talking about Zachary Rabinor. He's the founder of a company called Journey Mexico, which is the leading luxury tour operator in Mexico. Zach is based here in Puerto Vallarta, but he has literally been everywhere in this country. And, and you know, probably more important, he's taken his clients everywhere. Hearing from Zach, his passion for the Mexican people, his fascination for the history of Mexico, the, his love for the wildlife, the adventures. Honestly, you can't help but want to go along with him on these adventures to follow him to places that you've probably never even considered going before. Now... I don't expect you to love Mexico as much as Zach does or or as much as I do, but I promise you, you will have a different perspective about this country after hearing his amazing stories and insights, so much so that you might even decide to make an extended trip down here yourself, as I definitely hope to do again someday in the not too distant future. Because Zach has so many great insights about Mexico, this episode is a little bit longer than most, but please be sure to stick around for the wall and wrap up to hear some of my picks for the best hotels and resorts in the country. But for now, let's check in with Mexico travel expert, Zachary Rabinor. Zach Rabinor, so great to have you on Travel That Matters. Thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Awesome. Well, we are in beautiful Puerto Vallarta right now. We are going to talk a lot about Mexico, but I want to start first with surfing. You, you, I know, I know you're a big, big, big surfer, and you're about to go on a on a surf trip tomorrow, I believe. Where are you going? And uh, is this a new destination? First time there? What, what's the, what's the story? Well, it's it's appropriate,
0: Bruce, that you start with surfing because for me, everything starts. And ends, and pretty much has a middle with surfing too. (laughs) So anyway, this coming weekend, I'm meeting up with some old high school buddies. We're going to go drive up to Sinaloa, past Mazatlan another hour or two, to some beautiful left point breaks. Some pretty basic accommodation, world-class seafood, and it looks like we got a good swell coming. So pretty excited.
1: Well, good luck with that. That, you know, that's funny you say that. I was speaking once to James McBride. He owns Newt Niwatu. Is that Niwatu? Am I saying that right? In Indonesia, big surfing destination. But he's opening up a place in Costa Rica, as I'm sure you know. And he told me, it all starts with surfing, right? Because it's like, you know, in Costa Rica became a destination because surfers started going there. And the more surfers came, eventually, you know, they brought their friends or their spouses or whatever. And it grew into what it is today. And and I think we've seen that with a few. I mean, Indonesia, Bali certainly is, it could be a a similar story. There's so many places. And it's funny, we always say, first,
0: it's the surfers, then come the Lonely (laughs) Planeteers. And then from the Lonely Planeteers comes more mainstream tourism. And even in Mexico, if you look at places like Sayulita, like Todos Santos, like Puerto Escondido, which is now having a boom beyond surfing, it's the surfers that find these far-out, beautiful, pristine coastal places, obviously with waves. And that brings a different breed of traveler because the real mainstream looks for calm waters, places to swim. And so those places ultimately are beautiful and nothing against them, but they do become crowded and busy. Whereas the surf spots have their own protection built in. That's the waves because people say, well, I don't want to go there. You can't swim. But ultimately, it brings kind of an edgier, more bohemian type of crowd. And and I think the places I just mentioned are like that. Costa Rica, certainly. Northern Peru, a place called Mancora, Montañita in Ecuador. Um, these were all my stomping grounds as I led people on trips throughout South America, Central America, and Mexico, principally.
1: Well, it helps too when you have the diversity of wildlife and, and ecosystems of, of Costa Rica and all the natural beauty that, that has, you know, so much more than just surfing. Speaking of which I just learned before we, <laughs> we started recording that you are launching a new product in Costa Rica, Journey, Costa Rica. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure. So we are, we're very excited. We're launching Journey, Journey Costa Rica in August. It's been in the works for some time. I lived in Costa Rica back in the 90s. In fact, my first real introduction to Latin America was Costa Rica in the late 80s. My, my best friend, who even to this day is still one of my closest friends, I met him in the laundry room at Cornell, and he had a Surf Costa Rica shirt on. And this is back when people thought Costa Rica was an island in the Caribbean, right? And I went and visited him in 1989, and I just fell in love with Costa Rica, with Latin America, with the kind of boundless frontiers, open space, lonely waves. So the opening of Journey Costa Rica is really like a full circle for me. I'm super excited about it, looking to, like in Mexico, really focus on the high-end and
1: ultra-luxury market. That's funny. Your Costa Rica story reminds me of my own Costa Rica story back in probably about the same time, a little bit later, early 90s, I think. I got a call at work one day from a friend, and he said, Hey, I'm going on a surf trip to Costa Rica tomorrow. My brother-in-law was supposed to go with me and he just broke his arm so he can't go. Do you want to go? I honestly didn't even know what Costa Rica was. I mean, I'd heard of it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really know. And let's just say like you, I think that trip kind of changed the course of my life. So it is a, it is a special place, but we are here to talk about a place that you and I both love also, maybe even more than Costa Rica. And that is Mexico. You live in Puerto Vallarta, you have a, your, your company is based here. How did this all come about? How did you end up in Puerto Vallarta and why did you choose this particular location in Mexico? So back in the late 80s and into the 90s, began
0: traveling all over Latin America and then began guiding, leading tours for first a company called Trek America. And then through that experience, became very much entrenched in a whole community of guides that were leading people for a number of different companies and ended up working principally for a company at that time called Gap Adventures, which now is a a big successful company called G-Adventures. I did all this guiding and I fell deeply in love with Latin America. And in particular, I was fascinated with arguably the two most important, historically, the two most important regions, which were the Andean region, right? The Aymara, Inca region of of Peru, Bolivia, Ecuador, and the Aztec Maya region, right? Or the Mesoamerican region. And what really tipped the scales for me and why I thought Mexico was such an opportunity is because we Americans really perceived Mexico as just solely a sun and sand destination. Uh, or, or perhaps back in my day, more of a tequila shooter spring break destination, right? right? <laughs> and yet I had the opportunity through this guiding to get to know an incredibly deep, rich country of culture, adventure, nature, and yes, waves and tacos and cervezas and everything under the sun. So that to me, I I thought, wow, we don't even know as Americans, as North Americans, we don't even know this exists. This is a huge opportunity. And that's where Journey Mexico was born out of. Puerto Vallarta, ultimately, that was your question, why here? It had to be somewhere with surfing. I told you that, that permeates this story. And I felt like Los Cabos, you know, Puerto Vallarta was the right mix of connected to the center. Mexico is a very, you know, kind of capital-dominated country where everything happens in in La Ciudad de México. Mm-hmm. And you could also access the colonial heartland. You could get down to the southeast, which is such an important part of our business as well. And yet you could also get up to the northwest with the incredible nature and landscapes of the Copper Canyon and Baja as well. So I did fail to mention that my wife also looked at the different destinations that I was proposing and saw that there were good schools, friendly locals, good healthcare in Puerto Vallarta, and an incredible Quality of life, which I have to say,
1: we've been here now in Puerto Vallarta for 16 years, and we just love it. It's amazing. Well, I'm am 15 years behind you, but I, I agree wholeheartedly. It really is a great combination of so many of the things that that many of us do love about Mexico. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of things to discover about Mexico that that I think still a lot of you know most people don't know about. You know, because it is it is a lot of the the sun and sand, right? But let's start with Mexico City, because you, you mentioned Mexico City. I'm, I'm sure you spent a lot of time there. Tell me about like what makes that city stand out as an international metropolis. I mean, it really is a different place. And, and, and what do you love about it? And like, what do you think people, why people should discover it, and, and particularly like right now?
0: Sure. So I think it's such a great question, and Mexico City is such a great example of everything we're talking about, because, first of all, it's located at about 7,000 feet above sea level, right? People's imaginations and images of Mexico ultimately are flip-flops, bathing suit, pool, beach. By the way, my my wife got altitude poisoning when we were there a couple weeks ago, so yes. (laughs) It's high, and it's surrounded by even higher mountains, right? You've got 18, 17, 18,000 foot peaks glaciated that ring the Valley of Mexico. It's also historically the most important place in Mexico. It's where the Nahuatl, the Mixteca, uh, the Mixteca, the, the Mexica, which were the original Mexicans, the Nahuatl-speaking uh, indigenous people, came to where their whole creation myth came to fruition with the eagle standing on top of the cactus with the snake in its mouth. That's where they had to settle. You know, This is the creation myth and story of ancient America. And it continued to be the most important place in pre-Columbian Mexico, and then once the the conquest and the colonization as well. Modern-day Mexico is fascinating, right? So you've got an incredibly bustling, chaotic city. It's 20 million plus, one of the world's biggest cities. But it's also got these little neighborhoods, amazing colonial architecture, and, and you've got all the different layers of art, history, cuisine, it's got this incredible vibe right now of the contemporary creative class, which is going on in La Roma, and Condesa. But everything that happens in Mexico happens in Mexico City in terms of politics, history, art, culture, food, you
1: name it. So if we're talking about Mexico City, I think one of the first questions that people are going to, that comes to mind for a lot of people is safety, right? Is it safe? I know when, you know, when we came down here originally, the first question that most people asked us was, you know, is that safe to move to Mexico? Are you running a security risk with your children, with or whatever? So, you know, clearly Mexico does have security issues. There's no way around that. What are your thoughts on that issue, first of all? And then also, what do you do to ensure the safety and the, the protection of your, of your clients? Sure. I think if we're honest, all big cities have security risks and
0: safety risks, I think there's no way to ensure safety, but there are ways to mitigate risk. And that's the way that we look at it in Mexico. And there's some very basic traveler recommendations that everyone can use. Don't drive at night. Stay out of establishments of ill repute. Knowing in, in New York City or in Detroit or in San Francisco, there are places that you should not be at, and those risks intensify depending on what time of the day, what day of the week, what part of the year. Right. And that's the same exact way to approach Mexico City and all of Mexico. Honestly, there are issues that happen, and that's unfortunate. I am not going to gloss over it, but typically, if you follow some very basic rules that I just mentioned, a few of you probably avoid ninety-five percent of those of those
1: issues. Do you see that situation improving currently or, or, you know, in the future? And then also with what we're going to talk about, some of these maybe more off the beaten path destinations, how, does, how do those issues affect exploring, going a little bit deeper into Mexico?
0: Look, I think overall the situation in Mexico has been on a long and steady improvement in terms of quality of life for Mexicans and visitors alike. And, and in terms of security as well. I think that we're on a long and steady improvement, the intertwining of the United States and Mexico, and especially in terms of tourism, this is business. And the country as well as the government, the private sector, everybody is very much interested in creating a good environment, a safe environment for people to come and visit and enjoy.
1: Okay, before we get into your insider picks in Mexico, I first want to ask you about something that particularly for me, is, is a passion. And that's kind of this hacienda hotel experience in Mexico. And it's, it's something I, I, I really haven't experienced it anywhere else. It's something I've really grown to love since being here. And can you just tell us a little, I know you, you're a fan of them as well. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you know Mexican hacienda hotels are and then what makes that experience so just kind of uniquely Mexican? One of the interesting things about haciendas is the actual word hacer,
0: is to make, right? So haciendas were a place where things were made back in the colonial era, and they generally focused on agricultural products. They could have been a sugarcane hacienda, it could have been a corn hacienda. There were mining haciendas where they processed minerals and, and precious stones. At a certain point, there was a big collapse in the hacienda culture because industrial agriculture or other forms of production became more efficient, more profitable. And so there's a long period of decline where these haciendas, once places and centers of great wealth, obviously owned by the most powerful and wealthiest families in Mexico, fell into disrepair. And I think about 50, 60, even 70 years ago, someone got the idea, well, you know, this asset that used to produce so much wealth for our family is now doing nothing. Why not? refurbish it, make it a family country home, and then eventually let's invite our friends, let's invite some travelers, and they became hotels. I love them as do you because they ooze sense of place. They have a great history within them. It's the essence of travel. You're actually learning about the place you're going to. You're living the experience of what people did prior to tourists scurrying all over the country. And so it gives you a great sense of place and a great idea about the history, the people, the
1: culture, and much more. And some of them have just been so spectacularly restored. They're just gorgeous places. I'm actually, as you know, tomorrow leaving for Hacienda de San Antonio, where I've never been before. I read about that place something like 20 years ago and I've been dying to go there ever since. It looks absolutely magical in the, you know, the shadow of the the volcano in Colima with the beautiful Spanish colonial buildings and and everything so I'm very much excited for that. Tell me a little bit about a few of your favorite. I know Hacienda de San Antonio is is one of them. What what are some other ones that you like?
0: I absolutely love Hacienda San Antonio. It is one of my favorites. I think you're going to love it. Others that I love, many people are aware, we have an amazing benefactor and champion of Mexican culture and haciendas who is Roberto Hernandez and his now foundation, the Hacienda Foundation. And they have hundreds of haciendas that are in different phases of renovation. And there are five of them that are actually operate as hotels these days, the Hacienda de Moson, San Jose, Santa Rosa, Guayamon, and Puerta Campeche, which is actually a, a series of colonial mansions in the center of Campeche. And that's another point, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a hacienda. There are colonial mansions. You know, the point is authenticity, a sense of place, a sense of history, and not just a big cement structure that's meant to pack tourists into. It's a real authentic feel, and I think that's what you like about it. That's what I love about it. The Hacienda San Gabriel de las Palmas, that's in the state of Morelos, absolutely adore it. There's this beautiful little colonial home in in the town of Pátzcuaro called the Real Casa de la Aduana. Good friend, Gemma Macuset, and her husband, Didier, a crazy French artist, musician. One of the best places in all of Mexico. It's four bedrooms, right? And Mexico is full of these incredible accommodation options
1: to begin with. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to hear Zach Rabinor's Insider Destinations in Mexico.
0: Hi, I'm Lale Aracoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs.
1: Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share
0: dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these... I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs, we hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you
1: listen. So we touched on Mexico City, Puerto Vallarta, surfing in Sinaloa, which is probably not what most people are going to <laughs> come to Mexico for, but I but I appreciate you doing that. And the hacienda experiences. I want to know a little bit more about like what you you've been doing this for a long time now. You live in the country, you've been everywhere. What are some of the places that you think are experiences that you think a lot of people overlook or are, you know, up and coming or, or whatever it is, or, you know, even popular destinations that you think people might want to look at in a different way. So, I, you know, I would just love to hear some of your thoughts on how to do Mexico like an insider that you are and in a way that is going to still kind of fulfill it. We're not talking about backpacking and, and camping on the beach. It's, it, it's still a luxury experience. Each time I think about this, it has a lot to do with either if it's for
0: myself, the the, the vision, the the type of hat that I have on. Is it my exploration hat? Is it my relaxing beach hat? Is it my adventure hat? Is it my surfing hat? But a few things come to mind. I think you really have to look at Oaxaca and Chiapas as two areas that are the richest in pre-Columbian culture. You still have indigenous people living not just in the surrounding areas, but right in the middle of the cities. And they're still wearing traditional clothing, leading traditional lives. Those are must-do, must-see places. And people aren't even aware. You know, they think, oh, I have to go to Peru to learn about the pre-Columbian indigenous people of the Americas, or perhaps I've got to go to Bolivia. But you go to Chiapas or you go to Oaxaca and you're going to find the same type of traditional lifestyle, dress, even language. People are speaking Mayan different dialects of Mayan in the outskirts of Chiapas, Celtsal and Tzotzil And uh, it's fascinating. If you're thinking about, you know, everyone always wants to know what's the next Tulum, because as we know, Tulum has gotten pretty busy in the last 10 years. I'm a huge fan of the coastline directly south of here. We're actually looking out the window right at it right now, across the, the Bay of Banderas and the whole mountain range there. It's the Costa Alegre and the Costa Carelles. It's a fascinating area One of the most important parts about it is that it's large, most of the coastal land is held by five or six families. So you've got massive land holdings, which de facto creates a very low density development. You have the incredible mystical property of Quixmala. You've got Las Alamandas. All of these are legacies of the Goldsmith family, which is the same family that made the Hacienda San Antonio. We have the Tamarindo property, which is owned by the Hernandezes, who also had the Haciendas. That is now being turned into soon to open Four Seasons, Four Seasons Tamarindo. Um, and then there's a new project that is being built right now called Shala X-A-L-A. And very good friend of mine, same group of guys who did the whole Mandarina development to the north. And there's going to be an El Decor and there's going to be a one and only tented camp. And anyway, they haven't finalized all of the different operators and and brands that will be involved, but that should be another amazing uh,
1: opening, but without making it too dense or crowded or busy. Completely agree with you that that stretch of coast between Manzanillo and, and Puerto Vallarta is just magical for many of the reasons that you you've laid out that it it just hasn't been developed because of these massive, you know, land holdings that people have. Crayas is another, you know, incredible place there where you just have these miles of beaches with, you know, one house on them or something. And it's just, it is a beautiful place, incredible wildlife, the, you know, the turtles, the whales, the dolphins, and it is a really, really one of the better beach destinations, I think, anywhere on the planet. I'd I'd also, while Chiapas and Oaxaca are kind of the
0: most traditional, off the beaten path, greatest example of pre-Columbian culture... We also have a whole central highlands around Mexico City that includes San Miguel Allende, Guanajuato, Puebla, which are perhaps less a good example of pre-Columbian culture, but they are a really good showcase of the colonial era. And they they were the birthplace of the Mexican independence movement and then of the revolution. You can see incredible architecture. It reminds you a lot more of Europe. Then you might think of Mexico, but you also have the colonial mansions, very very wealthy areas. The mines in Guanajuato were some of the wealthiest mines in the Americas, if not the world, back at the turn of the nineteenth
1: century. I want to go back to Chiapas because you know Oaxaca and Chiapas. You rightly mentioned the the cultural draw and the the indigenous communities. They're also incredible adventure destinations too. Chiapas in particular, I've heard fantastic things about. It's a place I have not been, but tell us a little bit about that, you know, adventure that you might think about, I don't know, the Rockies or the Alps or or whatever. How do you find that in Mexico and, and what are some of your favorite spots for that? You know, Oaxaca
0: has incredible, the Sierra Madre, which is the Mixteca and the Sierra Norte de Benito Juarez, where we operate bicycle trips and hiking trips and hut-to-hut hiking and that kind of stuff. Chiapas is super famous for not only hiking, but whitewater rafting, whitewater kayaking, and and great biking as well. Uh, Incredible biodiversity. So wildlife observation, jaguars, pumas, incredible bird life, some of the most biodiverse regions in Mexico, which Mexico is one of the most important biodiversity countries in the world, are in Chiapas. Now, continuing this adventure conversation, you have to talk about the Northwest. And that would include Baja California, both Baja California and Baja California Sur, and, you know, the whole Copper Canyon region, which is Sinaloa, Sonora, and Chihuahua as well, the three states. These are fascinating. I mean, the the Copper Canyon, nobody even knows it exists. It's four times the volume of the Grand Canyon. And you've got indigenous populations and, and communities that are living in the caves, stuck into the walls. They're some of the most traditional indigenous communities in all of Mexico. And you've got some of the deepest, vastest canyons that are great for trekking, hiking, mountaineering, rock climbing, mountain biking, road biking, you name it, and you can do it there. Baja Sur, uh, especially around the areas of La Paz. Uh, Todos Santos, Loreto, incredible adventure destinations as well, especially for the Sea of Cortez. You're talking about snorkeling, scuba diving, some of the most incredible biodiversity in the world. Uh, Jacques Cousteau called the Sea of Cortez the world's aquarium. So, I mean, you're talking about whales, dolphins, rays, giant mantas, and every other kind of species you can imagine. I think that it really ranks up there with Galapagos Islands in terms of biodiversity and the whole Baja Peninsula, really. The the Pacific coast of Baja, super famous for its gray whale migrations. There's also blue whales on the Sea of Cortez side. So it's really an adventurer's type of destination.
1: Uh, Copper Canyon, quickly on that. I I know that the train is the primary way people people explore that. How do you recommend going through the Copper Canyon? Because it is one of kind of the world's wonders that, that I agree a lot of people don't know about, but it's not exactly next to anything. <laughs> you know, it's it's a, no, it's a hard I place don't. to get. So how, what's the best way to kind of explore that?
0: Look, it's this is really now a, an adventure destination, not just in the sense of activity, but it's it's for intrepid travelers, right? You don't have five-star hotels. You do have beautiful boutique lodges and wilderness lodges that are absolutely adequate, comfortable, have hot water, running water, bathrooms, and all that. It's not near anything. And I think that the type of people that it attracts understand that. If you want wild, you got to get out there, right? If it's an hour from a major international airport, well, you're going to find a lot of other people there too, right? So it goes to the territory. You definitely need to take the train. You can drive through the Copper Canyon. I've done so several times on expeditions, but the really, the, the best way to do it is the train. I like going from the Los Mochis or even El Fuerte area up into the Sierra rather than coming down because you get to see that, that that transition from the lowlands up into the high Sierra is the most interesting part of the train ride, and that you don't really get to see as well if you're coming down because of the timing of the train, so it's kind of in the dark if you come down rather than going up. And then I would highly encourage people not just to go and tick it off your, your checklist and kind of say, oh, I went to the Copper Canyon, but take the time. It needs at least a week. You got to get down into the bottom of some of these canyons, you know, not just look at it from up top. And that's really the, the trekking trip in the Copper Canyon was the first iconic trip that we kind of founded the company with. We wanted to bring people deeper, and that's a good analogy for kind of what we've sought to do with Journey Mexico is go deeper into Mexico, authentic, off the beaten path and find, you know, what the country really has to offer and share with people.
1: That is definitely something I need to do before I leave here. Um, OK, so we've talked about adventure. We've talked about kind of in, indigenous culture. One thing we haven't talked about is, is food. Is there is there a part of Mexico? I think, you know, Oaxaca also could clearly be the pick there, but is there a part that you think is just a food destination? Look, I think I think at this
0: point this is not really news, right? We've got a couple of extremely popular food hotspots, Oaxaca, Mexico City for sure, Merida. I'd also Add the Pacific coast, right? If you're a seafood junkie, like from Puerto Vallarta down to even the central Pacific coast, even the, the coast of Baja as well is amazing. Where we're going up in Sinaloa, we're gonna have some of the best seafood in the world. But the, I think what's important to mention is that Mexico, like, like the US, it's very regional, right? So the food you eat in Baja is very different than the food you eat in Merida. Yucateca cuisine has its own style, its own recipes. Same with uh, Mexico City. Then you've got Puebla and Oaxaca that are famous for its mole, uh, famous for its tlayudas in in terms of Oaxaca. I mentioned the seafood on the Pacific coast, the Baja fish tacos, right? That's become Mm -hmm. famous in the US. And we even know that in the Northwest of Mexico, you eat more flour tortillas than corn. So you probably are aware that Mexico is one of the few countries, in fact, it was the third country in the world when the UNESCO made a new designation for uh, gastronomy or culinary world heritage. uh, It was Italy, France, and Mexico. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that the food is the best in the world? Well, I, I think so, but that's not what the UNESCO meant it for. It's that it hasn't been modified. It hasn't changed from its original format. And that's the same when they make a UNESCO World Heritage City. But that says something that the traditional ingredients of corn, Chili peppers, lime, you know, beans, these are the, the core ingredients and what is very prevalent and still today really dominates Mexican cuisine. So I think that's nice in a world that seems to be constantly on a quest to evolve and improve and change and go into the future that what's so great about Mexican cuisine is that it hasn't.
1: Yeah. And I mean, look, that says something. France, Italy and Mexico were the first three. And, and yes, I completely agree with you on that point. So, all right. Is there is there another destination or experience that you feel like is overlooked in Mexico that people need to need to take into consideration? Sure. I, th- I think what we haven't talked much about is the
0: wildlife and we did talk a little bit about biodiversity, but we could talk forever about this. But if I just kind of focus in on megafauna or mega migrations, right, we've got a few very important ones to talk about. We've got the gray whales, which we talked about, come all the way from the Aleutian Low or the Alaskan Peninsula up there, all the way down to the southern coast of the Baja Peninsula. That is fascinating. People have done whale watching all over the world, but the type of up close encounters and the pristine beauty of some of these lagoons is is really worthwhile. The Sea of Cortez as well, with the blue whales, with the giant manta rays, that is impressive. The butterfly migrations, okay, and these are now into the highlands of the Sierra Madre. It doesn't sound, you know, these are not lions, tigers, or bears, but when you've got hundreds of millions of monarch butterflies all exploding into, um, I've seen grown men cry literally, in the midst of this. It's a spiritual experience. It's, it's wild. We also have some incredible aggregations of sea turtles. And that's another important point is Mexico is one of the most important countries in the world for sea turtle migration and nesting, especially the endangered sea turtles, which are leatherbacks and green turtles and black turtles. The coast of Michoacan, of Oaxaca, of Colima are some of the most important sea turtle nesting and migration grounds in the world. And you can time that to you know we know when they're coming and to see an entire beach moving with hundreds of thousands if not millions of sea turtles at once it's a spiritual experience as well it's a it's a mind-blowing experience whale sharks we've got two different major areas you can see them sea cortez around la paz or even Loretto, even up to bahia de los angeles Uh, We also have the Caribbean, right? Depending on the year, sometimes they aggregate closer to Isla Mujeres. Other times it's closer to Isla Holbox. But these are two, again, amazing wildlife experiences. And then I did briefly mention that we have started to do some jaguar observation in the Calakmul Biosphere Reserve. That's in Campeche, the state of Campeche, right on the border with Chiapas. So uh, Calakmul is right along
1: the border, southern border with Guatemala to the east of Chiapas. Your answer to this might be the wildlife, actually, but what do you think is the one thing that people are most surprised about in Mexico or that they don't think about Mexico for and and it just is something that you think is absolutely core to, to this destination? I would say, honestly, I think
0: people do expect beautiful beaches and the sea. They know that it's also rich with whale watching and that kind of stuff. But I think that the culture, I think that part, the history, the culture, because I think Mexico is very cheapened in the the popular mindset. And so when they see this incredible architecture which of course harkens back to the importance historically, the wealth that was generated, the mining, the haciendas, the agriculture, the importance of Mexico in the Spanish empire. And then beyond that, the pre Colombian history you know the indigenous cultures the archaeological sites um, you kind of many people have gone to Tulum or Chichen Itza but if you go into the jungles of Palenque you you start to learn about the engineering achievements the architectural achievements of the Maya the Aztec and the other the Mixtec the Zapotec the all the indigenous cultures which were many that preceded them you start to realize what a rich diverse complex country which is then reflected in the art the food, and all the modern contemporary expressions of those things. I think that, that's what blows people away, is how diverse, how deep, how complex
1: a country Mexico really is. So what's next for Mexico travel? Like, where do you, do you, Are there places in particular that you think are going to be the next spot? Or how do you see it progressing? Like, where do you want to go next?
0: Well, I want to go to Sinaloa and go surfing. And if you want to <laughs> so know you, what's you next on the coastal that. scene, follow the surfers. So watch that space. I think that you'll see places like Huasteca, Potosina, and there's still tons of small colonial towns, pueblos, villages. But in the near term, we see big interest in tequila outside of Guadalajara, which mirrors, of course, the interest in the spirit. Mezcal, which is around Oaxaca. So it's not just the food, it's the spirit. I think people are very interested in that.
1: I'll say that somehow I mean, we got yeah, to this point in the, in the interview without talking about tequila. That's pretty good. I, I, and yes, <laughs> tequila is I've only been there for a day, but that is a beautiful town with so much. I mean, it is, you know, it's, it's not the same thing as going wine tasting in Napa, but it's that type of, of experience in this incredibly, I mean, that valley around Guadalajara and, and the agave fields instead of the vineyards. And it's really, I mean, it's, it's again, a uniquely Mexican experience. It is. And
0: those landscapes were actually deemed UNESCO World Heritage Landscape, the blue agave fields. I was actually going to, you, you said it's not like going to Napa. Actually, if you go to Northern Baja and the Valle de Guadalupe, and then there's other states as well that are very, including uh, the Bajio region with Guanajuato, you've got incredible wines being produced. And here's a little known fact. Mexico is actually the first country in the Americas to produce wine and the leading country to produce wine, most of the wine, the vineyards were owned by the church. So because of the hypocrisy of the church is telling people don't drink, and yet it's generating all this revenue producing wine, during the Inquisition, many, if not almost all of the vineyards were burned to the ground. While the rest of the Americas, including California, Chile, Argentina, moved forward and developed their wines and created more and more volume, which is key to to being competitive in today's day and age, Mexico really was set back. And so today, Mexico is producing world-class award-winning wines. What we're still not doing is producing them in sufficient quantities to be competitive price quality, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that those wine regions are going to be big. I think that Northern Baja is already exploding as well. I think the Baja Peninsula in general, because of this desire right now for open space, wellness, adventure, outdoors, that's all happening. I'd love to see the Copper Canyon gain more notoriety. I see the coast, the Pacific coast, Puerto Escondido is a big hotspot right now. And uh, I think that whole coast of Oaxaca is wide open all the way down to Huatulco and beyond. There's a whole series of surf breaks down there that are attracting people, investment, wide open, pristine, beautiful lagoons. That's all around the Barra de la Cruz area about an hour further than Huatulco. But even between Matulco and Puerto Escondido, where you have Masunte and Puerto Angel and Cipolite, which are all kind of the, the hippie escapes back in the 80s and 90s, are starting to have real hospitality come in. Valle de Bravo, that's a huge one, and it's a really interesting area for adventure travel, for getting out of the city, for wide open places. Where is that one located? Uh, Valle de Bravo, it's about an hour and a half outside of Mexico City to the north. I think those are all up and coming places. Uh, I think Puebla has gotten a lot of recognition recently, and we've got some great hotels there now. The Banyan Tree, the Cartesiano, the Habita Hotel as well. The Purificadora is great. Those are a few of my favorites. I'd love to see Chiapas visited more. I think Oaxaca has, has been popular for a long time, but Chiapas, certainly for those who are intrepid and want to really see the authentic, off the beaten path, pre-Columbian, archaeological, historical, architectural, culinary, it's all, it's
1: all there as well. All right, so you're, you know, you're in the business of creating these incredible moments and these authentic, you know, unique experiences for people in Mexico. When was the last time you had a moment like that in Mexico that just kind of you know, encapsulated what you love about this country? One of the things that I
0: really believe strongly and, and I think is so fascinating about Mexico is you it can be micro moments and it can be macro moments, right? So, like, you can have a moment like that, like, going to the Pitial. You know, you go over there and, like, some old lady does something that just blows you away. I mean, during the pandemic, I remember my wife and I went to the market. And we saw that there were people, like, we had never seen looking for help because Puerto Vallarta had shut down, right? And everybody relies on tourism. And to see this little market, which is a successful market, giving dispensas, which were basically care packages to all these people who had nothing to eat because they had been told to go home and rest from their jobs in hotels and restaurants and everything. And so I just think that this is such a prosperous, industrious, diligent nation. And sure, it has a lot of problems, political problems, institutional problems, historical issues that led to all this. But really, I think my lasting moment Right is, people often ask, like, what's your favorite place or what's your favorite trip, and I can I can talk about that in a lot of different ways. I can say, well, it depends which hat I have on. Am I am my surfing hat, my adventure hat? My... But what I really think is, what's so special about Mexico? Or what my favorite thing is is the people, and I think that's Mexico's greatest resource. It's uh, what I celebrate, and it's what I really want to share is this this culture, this warmth, this generosity of spirit and, and Mexicans too are, are intense. You know, they're, they're never, it's definitely not LA. Like I'll call you, you know, it's, it's, they're your best friend or your worst enemy. <laughs> and you know, you don't have like salt. No, you have Chile that'll like pop your head right off your body. You don't have a nice sherry wine. You have tequila that'll knock you on your ass. You know, you look at the mountains here. They're not like some foothills, you know, they're, they're just massive, massive, towering. So, you know, Mexico is a land of extremes and and its people are extreme, extremely kind, extremely generous. And that's what, for me, is my moment.
1: Well, Zach, that's been fascinating for me and, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. It is a lot of inspiring advice here and, and stories. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great. Thanks, Bruce. Anytime.
0: And now for the Wallen Wrap-Up.
1: All right. I'm just going to assume that hearing from Zach got you very excited to visit Mexico. And now that you're coming down here, you're going to need a few ideas about where to stay. So I thought I'd share some of my personal favorite hotels and resorts around the country. Now, Mexico really does have some of the best hotels in the world. And one that I'd say has kind of been the, the standard bearer over the years is Las Ventanas in Los Cabos. No secret there, but look, there are. So many great beach resorts in Cabo. You've got the Palmia, Esperanza, Zadun, Pedregal. You really can't go wrong in any of them, but I've visited Las Ventanas a few times over the years and I am just always blown away by how good it is. The, the field, the ambiance, the the service, it's so spectacular. Another spectacular Rosewood resort is Rosewood Mayakoba. This one's on the Riviera Maya. We've talked about it before on the show, and it's just this very peaceful sanctuary in the mangroves and along this great stretch of beach. Other spots I love on the Riviera Maya Hotel Esencia and the Belmont Maroma. Both of these are also on great beaches, just that kind of perfect soft white sand Caribbean dream that you have. Esencia is very chic play, like designer type of place, whereas the the Belmont is a little more classic Mexican in style. That one's closed for the next couple years for renovations. I am very curious to see how it turns out. Closer to where I have been based here in Puerto Vallarta, Zach briefly mentioned Las Alamandas, which is a truly magical place. It's on the Costa Alegre, south of Vallarta. And like Zach said, it's just... This area really hasn't been developed like other other coastal regions in, in this country or elsewhere. So you have these huge pieces of land with only like one small resort or a few homes. Alamandas itself is on 2,000 acres. It's got like four private beaches, and and I think there are less than 20 suites there. Definitely one of my favorite hideaways. Another one that came up in our conversation is Hacienda de San Antonio, which I had mentioned I was just about to visit – Well. I have visited, and this place is – I honestly, I don't even know how to describe it. I, you're just going to have to go to their website, check it out, look at how incredible everything is, and then believe that it really is that incredible. I, unlike anywhere else I've ever been, another hacienda property that I love is Hacienda de los Santos in Alamos, Mexico, which is kind of like a smaller, less discovered San Miguel de Allende. There are, of course, many, many great hotels in San Miguel and other cities throughout Mexico, but my favorite city hotel in Mexico is the brand new Casa Polanco in Mexico City. It's just opening this month, and it's one another one of these converted mansions. I think this one has 16 suites, and it's just in the most incredible location right on Lincoln Park in Polanco. You walk a couple blocks one way and you're at Bosque de Chapultepec, which is like the kind of central park of Mexico City, but actually twice the size of Central Park, by the way. Walk a block the other way, you're in Polanco's main shopping and dining area where, you know, some of the best food in the world, quite frankly, is. There's museums everywhere. It's an incredible walking area. I'll tell you, my recent trip to Mexico City definitely got me thinking that my next stint abroad should be in the capital. But for now, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my time in Puerto Vallarta. And I hope to see all of you down here or somewhere else in Mexico very soon. I'd like to thank Zach Rabinor for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information on Journey Mexico or some of the amazing destinations that we talked about today, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel matters. Travel Matters is produced for Kurt Co. by A.J. Mosley. Music by Joey Salvia. I'm Bruce Wallen, and we'll see you down the road.